I believe God's just worked uh, in a great way uh, to bring the church here. It's really exciting. Let's just bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth it contains and the life that it has for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that this morning, no matter how we've come in today, no matter what kind of a week we've had, we pray that we would learn afresh and anew from your word, something to inspire us, to challenge us, and to fill us with faith. And Lord, if we've come in and perhaps we're searching for spiritual truth, may this time just point us towards the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And we pray in his name. Amen. Reading um, verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, my daughter, Sarah, who's 17 years of age, she loves to play board games like Monopoly and Trivial Pursuit, things like that. Um, but when she plays games, she likes to put the board on the floor, on the carpet, and then, you know, spread all the things around, the money and the, the house tokens and everything like that. Uh, but Sarah is a bit like rubber. She's very, uh, almost like elastic, and she can sit there for hours cross-legged and play these games. I can't sit cross-legged. I'm as stiff as a log in a paddock, and uh, I, I just can't do it. So I have to recline on the floor and prop myself up uh, using cushions, and I even find that really uncomfortable. So I'm glad I didn't live in these days, in this culture, where they reclined to eat the meal. And uh, that's what we find here in this story. So it's possible that they were reclining on uh, almost like a low bed. That's the, the way the Romans used to do it. They had a bed probably about that high and they would recline on that. But it's also possible that uh, in this particular case, they may have just been reclining on the floor and propped up with cushions so that they'd be lying stretched out and uh, they'd be propped up on their left arm and they'd be eating with their right arm. And of course, that makes this story possible because as Jesus is reclining, it enabled the woman to come up from behind and tend to Jesus' feet. Now, it's interesting that Jesus accepted the invitation from Simon the Pharisee because, by and large, the Pharisees opposed Jesus. We could almost go so far as to say that they were the enemy. But Jesus knew that the Pharisees needed the word too. Jesus knew that they needed to hear the good news whether they would accept it or not. And in the case of the Pharisees, sadly, uh, it's likely that most of them would not have accepted the good news about Jesus. But what we realise here is that Jesus took up every opportunity. And I think Jesus is modelling something for us as believers 
that we also take up every opportunity that is afforded to us to engage with people, to mix with people, regardless of their belief. If, if the opportunity comes to us, then I believe, as Jesus did, he wants us to respond and take that opportunity up. When I'm out on patrol, that's what we call it whenever I'm just out visiting uh, in the rural uh, areas of Tasmania, I will go into any home if I'm invited in. And if a person invites me back again and again, I will go back again and again, regardless of their belief or their lack of it. Because it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to engage. And what I try not to do is I try not to judge whether they will or they won't accept the gospel message. Going back some years, I was invited to uh, speak at a church like today, but this was before my PIM day, so I didn't have a uniform. And uh, when I arrived on Sunday uh, morning at church, I came in and uh, there were already a lot of people there and they were standing around in little groups and they were talking. A lot of people looked at me as I came in, but uh, then they just kept talking and ignored me. Nobody uh, came up to me, nobody uh, came to, to talk and uh, I just stood there for a few minutes and then I thought, oh, well, I better take the first step. So I went up to a, a, a group and I sort of just broke into it and uh, they, they were a little bit aghast, almost thinking I was rude, but then they realised I was the speaker. Well, there was quite a deal of embarrassment and their attitude towards me changed uh, uh, quite a lot. And, and, I mean, it's not a really good story of how we might be as a church when, when somebody comes in. But what they had done, they had looked at me and they'd made this judgment that, oh, he's just some random person who's come in. He's obviously not important. Um, I, I don't know whether I wasn't wearing the right clothes uh, that they would expect the visiting speaker to wear. Maybe I don't look like a visiting speaker. I don't know. But they just made this quick judgment and, and, and basically ignored me and, and in a sense, uh, in essence, wrote me off. I think that we often in life make quick judgments about people, uh, you know, just based on, on external things like how they look or, or the type of job they've got or a whole, whole number of things. But when we bring that across into our Christian life, we need to be really careful that we don't prejudge people uh, because sometimes I think we tend to look at people and we make this prejudgment like, oh, well, they will accept Jesus or there's no way they would accept Jesus. They need to hear the word, but oh, it's not even worth sharing the word with them. And, and when you look at the Bible and you see the Apostle Paul, and before he became the Apostle Paul and he was Saul and he was that Pharisee persecuting the church, if you had asked the early believers about Saul, they would have said he will never become a believer. It's impossible. It's not even worth sharing the word with him. And yet look at what happened because of the plans of God. Even after Saul became Paul 
and he was a Christian, even early on, the, the believers were still wary and didn't really believe that it was possible. And they thought it might be a trick and that he might turn around and, and use that to come against them. We need to be careful not to prejudge and rather take up every and any opportunity that we have because we just don't know in a situation what God might do. In verse 37, it says, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, we might just ask the question, how did she even get in to that banquet room? Uh, well, the banquet room was open uh, to people who could come in and there would have been other onlookers there who were standing around the walls and uh, it was customary to hover about and to see what the uh, important people were talking about. And uh, it wouldn't have always been in this case. Sometimes they, they would have had uh, private discussions, but Jesus was a public figure and so the room was open. It's a bit like the gallery in, in Parliament. Parliament stands there and people are up watching. Or sometimes our uh, council meetings are open and the councillors are there discussing uh, the business, but people can come in and sit there and watch what's going on. And it was a bit of uh, this kind of a situation. The Bible doesn't say this, but I think it's also possible that Simon's motives may have been to show up Jesus. We, we have many instances where the Pharisees were out to trap Jesus and in some way to show him up in a negative way. Let's read on in verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. Maybe we just need to stop there and really have a look at what was happening here because it's so easy in the Bible that we just gloss over something, especially if we've read it many times. But look at what was happening here. It says that she was at his feet weeping. She wasn't just crying, you know, a little bit. She was weeping so much so that the tears started to stream down her face and to fall onto Jesus' feet. And then she took her hair and she would have knelt down and she would have wiped Jesus' feet. And I... I can imagine she would have done it with a real tenderness and a real love. And then she knelt right down and started kissing Jesus' feet. And then she went and poured this expensive perfume onto them. We really need to see the gravity of this situation because this woman obviously had already been touched by the life and teaching of Jesus. She already had seen something take place in her life, an incredible transformation. A healing took place for her. She had lived quite a a rugged and, and a hard life, as we'll find out a little bit more uh, about it in a moment. 
and, and uh, what Jesus had already done to her, in a sense, he had set her free. He had changed the course of her life, so much so that she was just overwhelmed. She was overwhelmed with joy and overwhelmed with thankfulness uh, to the point that she didn't really care who else was in the room and what people were thinking. She was just there and her emotions were just coming out. And we read on in verse 39, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Well, he said that to himself just quietly. But of course, Jesus replied to him straight away because Jesus is a prophet and even more so. And Jesus knew exactly what Simon the Pharisee was thinking. Now, it's generally agreed. It doesn't say so in the story, but most Bible scholars think that she was probably a prostitute because uh, for Simon to say what he did about her, she obviously was, in his eyes, an obvious sinner, an overt sinner. She was living a life that that was obvious to everybody that uh, she was in sin. And Simon would never have anything to do with a prostitute. He would see her as unclean. He would see her as a huge sinner while he would judge that in his own life he has very, very little sin indeed. And it is sometimes easy to see the sin in someone else. But we're all sinners who need Jesus. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you see, we realise our sin not by comparing ourselves with other people, but by comparing ourselves with God. And to do that, we need to appreciate who God is. And I think the problem for a lot of humanity they, when they look at God, they don't appreciate who he is. And so as they weigh themselves up against God, they think they stack up pretty well. You see, if you believe that God is just, that's if you believe in God at all, but if you believe that God is just some distant being out there and he's not interested in us and he's cold and, 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 and he, he just doesn't interact with us, he doesn't care about our suffering, if you think that's what God is like and then you look at yourself and most people care, at least for somebody, people care for the environment, they try and live a, a reasonably moral life and they start to think, well, I stack up pretty well. I'm not so bad and they aren't aware of their sin because they fail to appreciate who God is. When I was a, a young man at uh, Bible college, uh, we had this grass tennis court. It was an amazing tennis court uh, for a Bible college. And one day I was watching the principal of the college play one of the students. And as I watched them, I sort of summed it up and I thought, oh, they're not, they're okay, but, you know, pretty average. And I thought I could give them a good run for their money. And so I challenged the student to a game. So a few days later, there we were out on the tennis court and we had a bit of a warm-up, as you do, and then we decided that he would serve first. 
Well, I stood back waiting for that serve. And when he served, the ball went past me so quickly, I barely saw it. But it crashed into the wire fence behind so loudly and so scarily that I just stood there thinking, I'm in trouble. The next serve, when when I moved over to the other side, I was ready for it this time. And all I managed to do was just get the racket to the ball. It hit on the edge of the frame, ricocheted off the the racket, went over the high fencing out on the road and rolled down the street. Well, I knew at that time, I thought, I'm in big trouble. (laughs) That's the best I can do. Well, after that, we, we kept playing, but he just messed about. He just stood in the middle and, you know, had me running absolutely everywhere. At the end of the game, he didn't even need a shower. It wasn't fair. But you see, the thing is, I made the mistake in my judgment that I judged that the principal and the student, they weren't very good. So in comparison, I looked pretty good. And a lot of people make that mistake in in looking at their own life. They don't appreciate who God is. They don't get to know who God is. And in their eyes, they don't think God is much. They really don't. And so they think they stack up pretty well. In this situation, the woman's sins were obvious, while Simon's sins were hidden, but both sins were equally real. Simon was self-righteous. He was proud. He was indifferent to the needs of others. He cared mainly about himself And he was spiritually blinded to the love and grace of God. And yet we read in Hebrews chapter 4, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You see, many people might weigh up their life and think, well, you know, generally I'm a pretty good person. I don't rob banks. I, I, you know, I don't go around doing nasty things to people. But you see, God just doesn't look at that external. He looks at what's going on on the inside. He looks at the thoughts of our heart. And when he looks at the thoughts of our heart, each and every person on the face of the planet, he finds everybody wanting And then we read on in Hebrews, it says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, it's interesting that Simon sees only the woman's sin. But Jesus sees how grace and forgiveness can transform her. And indeed, it already has started to do that. When I was a young man, uh, I was invited to a birthday party and it was one of those ones where out in the backyard, it was a big backyard, they set up a marquee and uh, there were, I think, one or two hundred people there and it was really, really noisy. I happened to get into a discussion with uh, another young man 
And, and I was already a Christian, and I was just really full of zeal, and I was on for a good argument about the Lord, if I could get one, and I was out to win that argument. I'm a bit wiser now, but, but in those days, I'd go for it. Anyway, we ended up in this argument, and I think we argued for about two hours, and he was so aggressive against the Christian faith, and he got so angry. So anyway, back and forth, we argued for about two hours, and uh, I went away from that party that night, and I just thought of that guy, in my mind, I was just thinking, he's such an angry, argumentative person, Little did I know, I'd probably come across the same way. But, but I just had that judgment of him. And you know what I thought? I, I, I said to myself, he will never, ever come to Jesus. He hasn't got a hope of coming to Jesus. Because all I could see was just that argument. Well, quite a number of years later, I was uh, asked to go and speak in a church. And uh, when I got there, lo and behold, he was this same man and he was on the drums up in the music team and I found out later after the service that he had indeed become a believer. And over the years, he became an elder in the church. He became uh, the church treasurer and I got to know him really well and he was the most lovely, gentle man He was a wise Christian, a real stalwart in the church, really amazing. And yet years ago, I had written him off. I had just seen him in his sin and not seen what he might become when the grace and forgiveness and love of God would touch his life. The Pharisee couldn't see it in the woman. He couldn't see past the sin but Jesus could see what she might become as the grace and forgiveness of God touched her life. Now, Simon the Pharisee, in his desire for purity, separated himself from sinners. And that was the whole point of the Pharisees. As much as they possibly could, they just stuck to other Pharisees. They'd have to deal with people through the course of life. But as much as possible, the Pharisees just stayed with the Pharisees. And the idea of that was if they could keep away from other people, they would stay relatively uncontaminated by the sin of all these other unclean people. And yet in comparison, Jesus also preached about purity and holiness He preached about turning away from sin, but he never isolated himself from sinners because he understood that in order for light to shine in the darkness, the light must engage the darkness. And believers must stay open to relationships outside of the church. When I get home at night, and especially in winter, it's usually pitch dark, it's really black, and we live on the outskirts of town, and there's no street lights. And we've got these guinea pigs that live out on our back lawn. And uh, when we get home, we have to go out and move the guinea pigs onto fresh grass. So I go out with this super-duper torch. It's a little rechargeable. It's absolutely amazing. And I'll go out and I'll switch that on and it just cuts through the darkness. And I'm always amazed at how 
brilliantly it works. You go out, you can't see a thing, you turn on this torch and it just lights everything up. It's quite incredible. And yet when I take that same torch inside and I've got all the house lights on and I turn the torch on, it, it hardly looks bright at all. And I think it's a little bit the same that if we stay all the time just in the four walls of the church, and I mean within our church community, sometimes the bright light that we have, I think just seems a little bit diminished. But if we take the the light of the gospel that we have out and engage in the darkness, it's then that I think that our light shines brightly. I was so encouraged just to hear what David was sharing uh, about him and, and, and the people that went out with him to Dark Mofo and, and just the effect that they were having and the things that they were seeing because they'd taken their light out of the church context and, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. We need this. But they've taken the light of the gospel out into the darkness and out there it can shine really brightly. And Jesus knew that. He wasn't like the Pharisees who would just stay segregated and cut off from everybody else. But Jesus was always willing to shine the light into the darkness. Let's just jump forward in the story to verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil, sorry, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. The woman's love reflected how much she had been forgiven, whereas Simon hardly recognised the sin in his life. And if we are unaware of the sin in our life, we will not love Jesus. If you're unaware of a problem, you just don't get it fixed. Recently, I had uh, a, a hole spring in, in the radiator of my car and I thought, oh, I'm in trouble. So I took it to a mechanic to get it fixed. And Christians who, who are aware of how much they sin, they will go to Jesus, to, can I say, to be fixed. And they will love Jesus accordingly. Simon just did not realise that he was broken and that he needed to be fixed. Whereas the woman in the story, she saw her brokenness and she knew how much she had to be fixed, how much she had to be repaired. She knew how much she had to be forgiven and she loved Jesus accordingly. And then in verse 48, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now Jesus is stating what she already knew. Her life had already undergone a huge transformation. You see, forgiveness possesses transforming power. The grace and the forgiveness of God affects our life in a dramatic way. 
Because when we realise it, when we receive it, we start to heal and we change positively. And we, as a church, need to be aware of that process. Because we need to be aware that the people that we engage with, when we're engaging with the darkness, if people come into here and they don't yet know Jesus, they're not going to come in and automatically just clean up and maybe become like us. You know, sometimes we expect people um, to just uh, adopt uh, our behaviour and be just like us. But we need to allow for the word of God to penetrate their life, for the grace and forgiveness to come into their life. And then we will see a change take place. Then people are transformed. Uh, We had a a man come into our church um, quite some years ago and uh, he wore, he was in all black, complete black, had a black furry uh, type or like a felt type of coat on and a black hat like an Akubra hat, but it was felt. And he had this huge feather in the hat. But his black hat and his coat were completely covered in badges. And I mean those metal badges, you know, the round metal badges of all different sizes and colours. And I mean like completely covered. He was completely covered in badges. It was quite amazing. Well, it's interesting. It didn't take us long to figure out that he was a really troubled man. And he had come in, uh, you know, seeking answers, seeking uh, the Lord or or, or seeking something anyway. And we realised very quickly that all those badges that he was wearing, it was really a cry for help. It was like a, a, a sign saying, hey, here I am. Will somebody look at me? Will somebody do something in my life? Well, we didn't tell him to take his badges off and to shape up or anything like that. We just decided we would embrace him and love him and include him and obviously share Jesus with him. And as he came to know Jesus... And in the love of the Lord and the forgiveness and grace of the Lord, we just noticed, this is after a little while, that one day he came in and there was, we could actually see some black on his coat because some of the badges, just a few, had come off. And then we watched over the next few weeks and few months and more and more badges started to come off and in, uh, until the end, he, he probably only had two or three badges left on his coat. And you see, we never said a word about that. But as the love and forgiveness and grace of God worked in his life, he just saw this incredible transformation. And he didn't need to have a cry for help anymore uh, stuck to his clothes. He knew now who he was in the Lord Jesus Christ. The love and forgiveness of God has just an incredible transformational power. When I was in uh, my youth group years, uh, we're going back, you know, about five or six years, or oh, well, maybe, maybe a few decades, but back when I was in, in youth group years, we had a, a, a man come in, young man, and he had a very traumatic background and was really isolated uh, in, in society And he stuttered. Um, Now, it's the worst case of stuttering I'd ever seen to the degree that 
You, it was virtually impossible to have a conversation with him. He just could not communicate. It was so bad. What happened is we just decided as a youth group that we would embrace him, we would include him, we would just love this fellow, um, just treat him with dignity and respect and, of course, share the gospel with him, share about Jesus. And you know what happened. You're already guessing. I know you're smart people. But over a period of time, his stuttering just started to, I don't know what you say, to improve or to lessen, but, but it, it kept um, lessening, if, if you can say that, to the point where he could almost have a normal conversation. Now, I'm not a medical person and I, I'm not commenting on the medical causes of stuttering. I'm sure it's quite complex. But what we saw is that the trauma in his life must have at least contributed towards it and made it worse. And yet when he had the grace and forgiveness and love of God in his life, such was the transformation that a real healing took place for him. And, and obviously he, he, he um, found a new security and and an identity in Jesus. And it was just incredible to see the transformation. But we need to be prepared that people won't necessarily just automatically come to that. But as they sit under the word, as, as they receive Jesus, as forgiveness and grace starts to work in their life, then of, just through God working in their life, they will start to change and become the person who God sees that he wants them to become. In verse 49, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus' action of forgiving the woman's sins sparked discussion amongst the guests as to the identity of Jesus because it was believed by them, and rightly so, that only God can forgive sins. And the reason that Jesus could do it in this case is because he is God. Jesus is fully man and fully God. That's why Jesus always said, sometimes he said, I'm the son of man, referring to his humanity. And at other times he would say, I'm the son of God, referring to his deity. And in verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. This text cries out to us to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was faith that saved her, not her tears, not her perfume. They were signs of her faith. You see, it's not the things that we do that save us. It's not the works that we do as we call it. But what they do, they reflect our faith. Our faith comes first and then we act upon our faith. That's what happened in the woman's life. She saw the truth in Jesus and she put her faith in him and then the things that we see in this story, they followed that in her life. Faith came first and then forgiveness and then she was able to demonstrate her love for Jesus in that dramatic way. And it's the same for us in our life. Faith comes first. And then we receive forgiveness and grace 
of God and it transforms us. And then after that, we too can weep joyfully at our Saviour's feet. We can weep tears and we can anoint him with perfume through our worship and our service. Let's pray.